Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Today, we bring you another recovery story. Eric Pothen is here to share his. Eric is currently a middle school choir teacher in Albertville, Minnesota. Eric struggled with an eating disorder for several years, and today he uses his previous struggles of having had an eating disorder as his strength to raise awareness and serve as an advocate for those who struggle with these illnesses, with disordered eating, with body image issues. Eric is the owner and founder of the apparel company Embracewear, whose mission is to help others learn how to embrace themselves and discover beauty and self-worth within. 10% of the proceeds will go to local eating disorder clinics. Eric, thank you so much for being here with us. We're so excited to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. So let's start with a little, a little background. When did your eating disorder appear? What was going on in your life at that point in time? So for me, my eating disorder first surfaced shortly after I had graduated college. I had moved back home and fitness has always been a part of my life. And so I thought I might as well try to add some, uh, an element of routine to my day-to-day life. And so I got a membership to a gym and over time, naturally with going to the gym, I started to lose weight. And so it, it, it became to the point that with this loss in weight, people started to compliment me on this, on my appearance and on my changed appearance. And in a way, I feel like that was kind of the catalyst that brought me into this space of developing an eating disorder. And so that led to excessive exercise and and I just continued to lose more and more weight. It was to the point then where with that increased amount of exercise that I began to restrict the amount of food that I was putting into my body. And it it was a very challenging space for me to be in. And I struggled with my eating disorder for one and a half to two years. And it was a very scary space to be in. And I remember within that space, I would go anywhere from completely restricting my food intake to spitting and chewing. That was something that was really common for me as I was kind of in the depths of my eating disorder, which I actually didn't learn that that was something that those who had eating disorders would engage in that sort of behavior until after I was out of that space. And so as I was following a lot of advocates on social media and I saw that I was like, holy cow, like that is part of my story. And for me, it was validating in a way just to like help me kind of put context to, you know, how I was engaging with certain behaviors as I was dealing with my eating disorder. So along with spitting and chewing, I got into the process of binge eating. Binge eating was definitely a large part of my struggle with my eating disorder, and that would be followed by excessive exercise. So it was very much so binge, excessively exercise, binge. And so that cycle was just so exhausting. I do also remember turning to alcohol as I was in the depths of my eating disorder as well to kind of take the edge off of how I felt and to put me in a slightly more relaxed state. So consuming food would be less fearful. And so those were a a lot of things that came up for me as I was in the depths of my eating disorder. So. Well, thank you for, for sharing those, 
that sort of the, the all too common, I think, sort of cycling nature of eating disorder behaviors. And, and also something that really struck me as you were talking about your story is how we, we learn uh, through sharing our story or reading, hearing, listening to other people's stories that sometimes the things we struggle with, we don't realize are part of the eating disorder. And then you find out from somebody else that they experience those. And it's such a I, I've, an incredible moment for many people of connection and sort of an aha thing. Oh, that that thing is also part of this. So I, I really appreciate that part of your story where you really discovered some of that through connection, it sounds like, with the, with seeing other people's share, you know, sharing of their stories and such. And it also highlights something that we hear a, a lot, really really frequently, that the comments about our weight and appearance, right? When, when people were starting to comment on your weight and appearance, and I imagine people thought at that point they were being complimentary and that they were engaging with you and that they were supporting you. And those comments can be so unhelpful and, and damaging, particularly for people susceptible to eating disorders. And our, our society is so focused on appearance and so quick to comment, even when we have no idea what's going on with someone. I, something that could be unintentionally reinforcing or complimenting, or even just the thing we say instead of saying the thing we really mean. Like, oh, it's so nice to see you. Instead of saying that, we say, oh, you look great, or oh, have you lost weight? But often what we really mean is it's so good to see you. So I, I can hear those elements in your story. And curious if we could talk a bit more about what what was going on with you what you know what was happening as you were hearing this praise you're being told you look great comments are sort of positive yet I imagine that is not how you actually felt tell us a little bit about what was happening inside I feel like as I was receiving those compliments it almost felt like I was in this game of tug of war a little bit with you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling really great about, you know, this weight loss, but then, you know, kind of getting tugged out of like, you know, engaging in fitness, because that was the thing that I truly loved. And then pulling me into this space of engaging in fitness to lose weight and to continue to receive those compliments from other people. And so it was just this internal struggle of wanting to stay in that space of exercising because that was something for me. And that's something that's always brought me joy and moving me over into that other space of driving me to create a not so healthy relationship with fitness. Um, but kind of what was going in on the inside is, you know, I feel like I just felt so hungry all of the time and my body would keep telling me that I was hungry and I would just keep ignoring a lot of those biological cues and, and I, and I was just so irritable and I was always emotional. I was always in a haze. I was always cold, just like I would stand up and I would get lightheaded almost every time. And I would be on the edge of passing out and I would get through an entire day and I would have no clue what had just happened. And so I remember crying in my room at night because I was so hungry, but I would just never allow myself to eat because you know, if I ate, that would mean weight gain. And that was the exact opposite of what I wanted at that point in my life. I started to become obsessed about food. I could not tell you the number of Pinterest boards that I made scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling being like, oh, I would love to eat that. Like, I feel like I could almost experience eating the food without 
actually eating it because I was just looking at it and thinking about it all day. And so I feel like those were a lot of the main things that were kind of going on within. Thank you for sharing that. It is so fascinating as I listen to you describe the internal experience. It does highlight so much of what we now know about the neurobiology of eating disorders the and the the sort of our human response to food cues and how our psychological experience interplays with our physiologic experience although granted they are one experience united but that but that our our brains get so confused by being hungry but not wanting to eat or being hungry and being fearful of eating and then being obsessed with food and then not eating and then being really irritable because our brains don't like it when we don't eat. And yet it feels so intense. And that haze and the blur you speak to is, it's just really, you've painted a a, a picture that I think really illustrates the, the confusing, hazy, painful, uncomfortable experience that happens to people in the midst of all that and really underscores what we know happens in the brain when we're not well fed. Yeah, absolutely. And my brain almost goes to like, you're going against everything that your body is telling you biologically, like that is our nature, but we're saying no. And we're basically rewiring our brain to engage and counteract and to argue and defend a lot of what our body is naturally telling us. Right. Right. And that, that, idea that you spoke to so beautifully around you know the, the Pinterest boards and the the sort of feeling like you're touching and consuming the food is, is sort of what I was imagining like feeling like you're experiencing the food but you're not and we know how particularly in times of stress our our brains can get a bit confused about thinking and seeing something without actually doing it and then having that wiring get a little tripped up so it does I, I think I hear that in your story mm-hmm, yeah so we we know that you know you experienced weight loss as part of your eating disorder, and and of course that's not everyone's experience. It's sort of a common eating disorder myth that everybody with an eating disorder loses weight or is in a small body, and we know that that's not true for everybody. But it was part of your experience to to have that weight change, and so tell us a little bit more as as time went on, did people's reactions to your weight loss shift? Did it move into any difference in the expression of what they were saying to you? And how did you respond to those those comments as they evolved over time? Yeah, this is always really interesting for me to always reflect back upon. But I feel like the first time that my family and friends had brought something up, I was in immediate defense mode. And I immediately, they were like, are you sick? Are things okay? And I had just played it off like, oh yeah, no, I'm good. I'm just like, not, I'm not eating as much. I'm exercising more and just tried to play it off. Like, you know, post-college was kind of just getting into a more healthier routine. I was trying to make myself better, I guess. And so as time went on and I continued to lose weight, my family and friends definitely started to bring up their concerns more and more frequently with me. And as they continued to do that, I almost felt irritated now where I'm like, you have asked me this so many times and I am going to give you the exact same answer as I always have. And so I'm just like being so stubborn in that na- and, and in that space as they continue to confront me. And in this space of being irritable and frustrated, I feel like anytime those comments were brought up, 
it almost made me want to engage in those unhealthy behaviors even more. It made me want to rebel in a way. And so I always look back at that and I always say, hmm, I wonder why I did that or I wonder why I responded that way. And I still can't figure it quite out and maybe I don't have to figure it out ever. I, I just always get so surprised that I'm like, okay, family and friends were concerned about you. You didn't take that into account, but yet you continued to put yourself at the center and just ignore all the love that was being given to you at that point in time. But then as I started to consume a little bit more food, I feel like I, I put on a little bit of weight, but then family and friends would say, oh, you look great. Have you put on any weight? And then I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I cannot win here. And so of course, for me personally, as I was in the depths of my eating disorder, weight gain was my biggest fear. And then for family and friends to notice it all of a sudden, like, oh, it looks like you maybe put on a couple pounds. You look great. I'm like, no, I don't want to hear that. And so I feel like it almost kind of pulled me back into engaging in a lot of those unhealthy behaviors that I had spoken about just a little a bit ago. And so I feel like I couldn't win. I couldn't win in this space of the shifting comments of, people being over-concerned about the amount of weight that I had lost in my physical appearance. And then on the other side, the weight gain, and then people complimenting me on that. So such back and forth. Such back and forth. Absolutely. As I listen to you, I think, I, I think that's so happens so frequently for people where they, they hear one thing and then they, and they have a hard time connecting with that, but then they hear the opposite and they're like, what is true? I don't understand. Really? It's so, uh, it gets so frustrating and overwhelming. And also the eating disorder just leaps right in and tries to, you know, take advantage of whatever comment is going to play off of that moment. So it does strike me as, you know, I've, I've heard that experience from other people. So I think that's a really poignant point for, for support people to hear that, in, you know, we, we imagine that people are, are well-meaning, right? We imagine they're saying those things because they're well-meaning and they want to support us. And yet it's just so not the thing that feels supportive and illustrates, I think, a, what we encourage people to do is to not comment on bodies and weight and appearance, but instead comment on how we really truly see the person as they are. Like, wow, it strikes me that you seem a little sad or withdrawn or irritable or anxious or whatever the emotional experience is versus here's your body in this situation A and here's your body in situation B. So it, I think your story is all sort of unfortunately a all too common reflection of society's investment in, in weight and appearance, but you know, don't go too far. And then we get concerned about that. It's, it is how, how can you win in that equation? I can see that being so difficult. And I feel like it goes back to your comment too about, you know, when we don't see people for a while and then we greet them, we say, you look great. Have you lost weight? And so once again, there we go. We're back into that space of focusing on, you know, appearance. And that has become just like so embedded within our culture and society as a go-to phrase when you see someone. And so I definitely think there is some awareness needed in this space of how do you have conversations with and how do you show up for those that are in recovery or those who are currently struggling with an eating disorder? 
Absolutely. And if, and if, you know, let's, let's aim high, if we could really shift the narrative overall, what if we really just said, it's so nice to see you yeah. instead of you look great, Yes. but they, they really are a different, have a different resonance to them. It, I also want to highlight something you said when you were describing sort of in the midst of this struggle, not being able to take in the, the, the love and caring of, of your, of your family and friends and supporters. And I, I, think about that I have sort of a, a feel a bit of sadness that that you would have felt it at any point during that time like that was your fault or you're doing something wrong or you weren't doing it right that that that's that's part of the sort of fierce difficult situation that having an eating disorder is is having a hard time taking that in because the eating disorder is is twisting it all around and the the lack of of adequate nutrition makes it really hard for us to, to reason uh, in, in any way that makes a lot of sense. So I just want to echo the, that bit around it. I recognize you might have felt that people were caring and trying to help and that the eating disorder was what made it hard to take that in, not because you were in any way doing anything wrong. I just want to shine a bit of light on that. Yeah, that's a really beautiful reflection back to me. And I feel like that even offers me insight now and in looking back to where I was in that space. And, and it, something that comes to my mind right now is that it literally felt like me against everybody else. And that's what my eating disorder was telling me is that, you know, you have all these people against you and it's you trying to defend yourself. Like, and it's hard when you keep telling this story to try and make them believe that you're okay, but they're not buying it, right? Like, that's why they keep bringing it up is because like, we've heard this so many times now, like things aren't changing what is actually going on. Right, we're asking you again in hopes that you'll say something different because we don't buy <laughs> that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. what, did, what did you think was going on? Like, as you reflect back, like, did you realize that you had an eating disorder? you know, how, how would you have assessed what, what was happening? Did having an eating disorder ever cross your mind or why or why not? Yeah, I, I know to be point blank. I never thought that I had had an eating disorder. Like the term anorexia never came to my mind. Like I was just so deep into that space where I was so hyper-focused on my body and its appearance and doing everything I could to have control over that, that that was my main focus. I wasn't thinking big picture. I wasn't thinking my name is Eric and I have an eating disorder. Like that just, I didn't, I think I didn't want to accept the fact that I had an eating disorder. Um, but like I said, I think I was just so engulfed in that very dark space that, that just never crossed my mind. I'm sure, of course, in my family and friends, that was the first thing that came to their mind is like, either he's really sick, or he has an eating disorder. So it, it, it's so interesting for me to always kind of also reflect back to the space of how do you how did you not think you had an eating disorder, and you were kind of engaging in all these behaviors and with this excessive amount of weight loss, it's, it's always fascinating to me. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it makes me smile thinking about that reflection because I think we as humans, you know, we, we do probably a, a fair number of things happen to us and it occurs to us sort of later <laughs> what that was, or it makes sense to us later or, or in reflection with other people, it makes more sense to us. 
that I think that happens with, with certainly with eating disorders and probably other things. So in, in your story, you sort of had a, had, a, had a turning point. Take us to that turning point. How were you able to, to recognize that this thing maybe was a problem and, and was maybe called an eating disorder? And how did you begin to challenge the eating disorder at that point? It really got to the point where I was very exhausted of being in that dark space all the time, 24 seven. It was, I was tired of being irritable. I was tired of always being hungry. I was just tired of not feeling like I was truly myself. It, it came to the point where a lot of the comments from my family and friends were so consistent and so frequent that I just had this one moment where I just paused after a family member had brought up their concern to me again. And I really turned within and I sat in that space and I began to reflect. And I was like, I need to do something. They're right. I, I just got chills as I said that because I mean, like I'm admitting my role in all of this. And that is something that I did not do for the year and a half that I was in the depth of struggling with this. And it was the first time that I honored myself. I was listening within, I was putting myself first. And that to me was so eye-opening. And I worked for a summer camp, a youth summer camp one summer. And shortly I had had this kind of very strong internal moment with myself of putting myself first. As I was walking into work one day, I told myself, Eric, this is the day you take your life back. And I remember just like saying that and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I really about to embark on this journey of what we call recovery? And I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. And uh, that day I immediately like allowed myself to begin to eat more food. And it was absolutely terrifying and also exciting. Like I really like to think of things through the both and lens. And so like, yes, it was terrifying, but also exciting. And I knew deep down that I was finally starting to move myself in the right direction of getting into a healthier space. Um, however, right as I started to begin to eat more, the eating disorder voice got extremely active. And so now you're playing that, I feel like I was in like a boxing match, just like, okay, I'm wanting to like knock out this eating disorder voice, but no matter what I can do, like it's still really loud and really present. But I just remember telling myself like, this is what you need to do to put you first right now. It was just kind of gradually adding food back into my diet. And whenever that voice came up, it was always coming back to like, you are doing this for you. And really continuing to make myself a priority was really at the forefront as this voice was more and more active in my mind as I was in the beginning stages of my recovery. Mm, that's beautiful. It's, you, you give a, a sort of a beautiful illustration to that concept of you know, what we call in treatment, the dialectic, right? There's this thing is true and this other thing is true. And they're really different. They might be completely opposite, but I'm excited to eat and I'm terrified to eat and how those experiences, those emotions can exist at the same time, even though they're very conflicting. 
that it sounds like that was a, a beautiful part of the process for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really just like how it allows both to be present at once. Mm -hmm. It is. It's sort of like inviting in the one that you kind of wish wasn't there and acknowledging it's there. Like, all right, come on in, pull up a chair, put your feet up. Let's chat. You're there. And let's figure out how we can you know, have the other the other part of the and be louder and more exciting and more interesting. And, and then we can really shift how we experience that. And we, we know that every, you know, every eating disorder recovery is different. We know every recovery process is different. I really appreciate the pieces you've described so far around really allowing yourself to take care of yourself, to be with yourself, to feed yourself more, to, to really partner with yourself. Was there, uh, were there other parts to that experience you had through that recovery process of, of that process progressing for you over time? I, in my recovery space, it was very nonlinear. There would be, there would be moments where I would allow myself to consume more food on a daily basis. And then I would get pulled right back into excessively exercising the next day and then restricting. And then it was a step forward with, you know, kind of upping my food intake and then a step backwards. So it was like very back and forth, but I knew I just like had to keep pushing forward. It really just got to the point where actually I, I signed up for a marathon and that's always been on my bucket list. And so it was really after I registered for my marathon and I began training that I knew that my nutrition and food intake was going to be very important with how extensive marathon training is. And being a part of that training, it really allowed me to create intentional space with how I was choosing to approach my nutrition and putting it in a different lens of like this, my nutrition, like in the food that I'm putting in my body, like it needs that. It needs that so much. It needs it to function. It needs it to nourish myself enough so I can adequately prepare for this marathon. And I really think if I had not been training for that marathon, I don't know if that would have made me move along as quickly in my recovery had I not. Yeah, it sounds like the that concept of the food being fuel for a, a goal, a, a, a thing you were really invested in, helped to reframe food in a in a new and different way, which can be beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that was kind of a lot of, my, that was my main phrase. That was my mantra as I was kind of in recovery. Food is fuel. And I know I had heard that as I was kind of in this space. And I was like, oh, that really resonates for me. And so I think some, it's really important to remember that, you know, what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for the other. And so I think really, as people are entering this space of recovery, you find what works for you. You're, you're going to be getting a lot of these things coming at you with, okay, how do I appropriately navigate this space that's so personal and intimate? And really, it's going to be trial and error. You're going to have to find things that maybe work for you and not another person and being okay with knowing that this is exactly where I need to be. This is exactly what I need to be doing. This is my recovery and I get to navigate that myself. Of course, with the support from others, hopefully along the way, right? Of right. just making sure you're always surrounding yourself with those special people in your life and really grounding yourself in why am I doing this? Why? Just the, the grounding yourself in the why is so important to me. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it's it's really highlights the, I think what you're giving voice to a key part of your recovery is, is really that reconnecting with yourself. And we talk a lot about that in the recovery process is really reconnecting with yourself, finding out how you work and you want to be moving through the world. And eating disorders are such disconnecting forces and they disconnect us from ourselves, our bodies, other people, that I hear a fair amount of disconnection in your story. Thinking about what was helpful for you in reconnecting thoughts, what are maybe one or two small things people could do that you'd put out there as suggestions to show themselves or their or their body some kindness, some connection. What ideas do you have? This is something that I've recently discovered to have a very like profound impact on my day-to-day life, but the power of affirmations and not only writing affirmations, but speaking them out loud. I feel like for me personally, when I speak them out loud, it I just have such a completely different emotional response. And I truly internalize it the more I verbalize it as opposed to reading it. And so I actually did this self-love challenge last spring. And part of it, one of the daily challenges was you have to write a list of self-affirmations to yourself and say them to yourself in the mirror every day. And so that was just an extremely powerful experience for me. And I typed those affirmations out and now they're printed out and hanged in a frame in my bathroom. And I read that every day, two times out loud to myself as I get ready for the day. And it's nothing about physical appearance. It is all about those innate qualities that takes you out of that space of being so hyper aware of what your body looks like and really brings you back within. And like you said, reconnecting with yourself. That was truly such a beautiful part of this entire process for me is that as I was in this space of recovery, I was finding myself again. I was seeing old parts of the Eric that had been lost for so long. And that was really through those affirmations. Another thing that I like to do, I feel like, especially when I'm having kind of those tougher body days, because they still do exist for me is that I actually write a love letter to myself. And within this love letter, once again, you're not allowed to talk about physical appearance and you really have to dig deep. You have to find those things that you love about yourself that aren't tied to your extrinsic appearance. You find those things that you love about yourself in really believing all of those things that you are writing and pouring out onto the page as you're doing that. And then once again, just like with um, the affirmations, you read that love letter to yourself out loud. And I, I cry every time still. It is such a powerful exercise for me. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't have to be this novel of a love letter. It could even just be like, Dear Eric, I love how you were there for your friend today. Love, Eric. Something as simple as that, but it it requires you to just know yourself and to really be in tune with who you are as a person. That's so beautiful, Eric. It's so, it does speak to a a number of things you're saying that the things that we know when we say them to other people, they light up, they, they feel appreciated. They see, they feel seen, they feel valued when we say those things to other people and we forget to say them to ourselves. And to your point about saying them out loud, I just wanna echo that, that there's, you know, we know there are different brain processes that happen when we're reading something in our, in our silently in our head versus 
saying it because wow, saying it makes it so much more real. And for some things, saying them out loud takes away some of the, the power that's sort of keeping it feeling negative to us or saying things out loud that our kindness to ourselves really makes our, our brain, I think, hear them in a different way. So I, I love that you're, I can just imagine this beautiful image of you, like, you know, reading your affirmations and thinking about people being able to do that and then having it on the wall, you know, for when you forget or when you can't quite get them right at the top of, you know, tip of your tongue, they're right there on the wall. So you can see them, you can read them, you can hear them, you can really surround yourself with them. And that, we know that that helps other people. Why wouldn't it help ourselves? And I think something that I also do in this space is I tell myself that I love me. I, I say, Eric, I love you. I love you, Eric. And just like, there's something even just about that, that even though it's so simple, that still really resonates and just like puts me in such a different space after I say that. I feel like it, it almost like forgives me of all my faults as I say it. So that's something easy to do too. Absolutely. It reminds us that we can be our, our own harshest critic, right? And that we can also bring that love to ourselves. That's so powerful. Well, we, we, we know advocacy is part of your recovery and we're excited to have you tell us a little bit about Embraceware. So tell us about advocacy and, and Embraceware and other goals you have in the eating disorder community. What's, what's next for you as you're, you're changing the world for yourself and, and other people? Tell us more about it. Um, this was probably close to a year and a half ago now, but as I was kind of in a much healthier space and where I was at in my recovery, I just felt really called to share my story with other people on social media. And so it was an incredibly vulnerable share, but I just felt so called to open the door to a space that I feel like needs more conversation. Like, we have opened the door and we've started the conversation around mental health, which is a hidden illness. And I think we're doing a really great job with that. And we're really making great steps and kind of normalizing conversation around that. But this space of eating disorders and disordered eating, like just like with mental health, I feel like that really kind of evokes a lot of shame within other people. And so for me personally, I know it is so helpful to see yourself reflected as you're reading someone else's story. And I was like, I feel like I really want to be that conduit right now. And so I posted and shared my story with social media and just the amount of feedback that I had gotten or messages from others being like, thank you for sharing your story. This is something that I have also struggled with and I have not told anybody before. And so uh, just those responses were like, okay, Eric, this work is clearly needed. And so shortly after I had made that post, I had made the decision of like, I'm going to invest more time into this space. And so I made my first advocacy post on social media and the message was very simple. And it's one that you hear quite often, but it's, you're more than the number on the scale. And in all honesty, I wish we could just throw away scales. Um, <laughs> But I just felt so much energy as I was creating that content to put out there. And I'd been doing it through my own personal page on social media. But then a couple of months after that, I took a trip to New York. And as I landed, I had just gotten this kind of like light bulb moment of like, you need to try to make the messaging more widespread. And it, it came to me that you need to start 
a business, a company, something along those lines that will help you share your story, help you dive deeper into the space of advocacy work to raise more awareness around eating disorders, disordered eating and, and body image. And it, that's how Embracewear came to be. And so Embracewear is an apparel company and, and it's all grounded in helping people rediscover the love that they have for themselves as they're kind of navigating this space of recovery. And you might not even have to be in recovery. I mean, I feel like we can all learn lessons and all grow in our ability to love ourselves on a day-to-day basis. And so really the mission behind it is love yourself. You're perfect just the way you are. And just really trying to make that messaging known and to really dive into those spaces of raising awareness around eating disorders and and whatnot, to continue the conversation, to to begin to normalize it more. Um, And so that has been such a beautiful project and a beautiful space for me to be in. And um, I'm also super excited that I will actually be starting up with the EMILY program in a couple of months here, working as an eating disorder technician. Um, And so I've been looking for ways to continue to dive more into this space. And I, I was drawn to the EMILY program and I saw this position and I was like, this is what I need to be doing. And so I was just, my body was just full of energy. And so I really cannot wait to be in such a special and intimate space and continue to build hope, to encourage, to inspire others and really let them know that they're perfect just the way that they are. That's so wonderful. We're, we are excited to have you join, join the team. I, I just think it's the, the inspiration that you're having for yourself and then shining outside of yourself is, is a really great example of how sharing stories really matters and hearing from other people really matters because we see ourselves, even if it's just a little, a little ray of ourselves or a bit of ourselves in other people's stories. And that gives us hope and, and courage and strength often to share our stories and to reach out for help and to just to reach out to, to connection where, where it's, it's out there for us. We, we end each of our recovery podcasts with a question and we, we ask our, our podcast guests to think about the person that might be listening right now who's thinking, well, that is just, that's great, Eric, what a cool story. And that is not possible for me. It's just not going to happen for me. What would you say to that person right now? That's a fantastic question. And I'm trying to put myself back into my shoes when I was in the depths of my eating disorder. I think one thing that I would say to them right now is that you're worth it. You are so worth it. And it's a challenging road ahead. I'm not going to lie, but you need to remember that you are the most important person in your life as you're in this space. And you are worth all of the hard work. You are worth those really difficult moments to get yourself to a space where you can really rediscover the love that you have for yourself, a space where you feel more free, more connected to yourself, and ultimately a space where you can just live your life and just be. That is just beautiful. Eric, thank you so much for joining today and sharing your story and for all of the work and the the effort and the light that you're putting out into the world. We, We applaud that and really appreciate you sharing that with us. 
thank you so much for creating the space to share my story as well. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.